Good morning. I'll tell you, it is such a blessing to be here this morning for a handful of reasons. Um, One is that, of course, even though my wife and I live in Chicago and have for uh, many years now, um, coming back to Prescott is always like coming back to home. Uh, The weather here is awesome. Can I just say that? We got onto an airplane in sub-degree, sub-zero degree weather and got off in Phoenix. So shell shock, weather shell shock hit me, and I've been happy ever since. Um, When John called me, Pastor John, to uh, offer an opportunity to fill in and preach for him on a coming Sunday, I was just delighted because um, having so many family members in this church, uh, I've been able to follow sort of what God has been doing in Cornerstone over the years. Um, And it's amazing. And so what a blessing and a privilege to be a part of that this morning. So thank you for entrusting me uh, with that. Um, What I'd like you to do, if you would, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. So turn in your Bibles there or boot up your smartphones. John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21. John 6, 16 through 21. This is one of the most famous miracle stories uh, in the Bible about Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to read it together, um, commit our time to prayer, and then dive right into the text with you. So John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And our Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we look into your word, you would just speak to us powerfully by your spirit, open up the eyes of our heart that we can see your love and we can see your son, Jesus Christ, more clearly through this text in your, your word. We commit our time to you in your name. Amen. You know, in our story uh, this morning, the disciples are overwhelmed by a storm. Have you ever been overwhelmed by a storm? Uh, I remember, I'll never forget a time when I led my family right into the midst, my young family, right into the midst of an overwhelming storm. Uh, We were on vacation at Pigeon Forge in Tennessee, which is right at the edge of the Smoky Mountains. And uh, I had four kids at the time. Now I have five, but at that point it was four, ages six, four, two, and one. So picture it, young family. We'd hop in the minivan, drive into the Smokies, and find some some small day hikes that would be appropriate for small children. So we were on one of those excursions and we found this location where there was a two and a half mile hike downhill all the way to a waterfall, supposedly very beautiful. And I thought that sounds perfect. So we pile out of the van, we get everybody strapped up and ready to go. And my wife says to me, honey, are you sure that we should do this? I mean, did you notice the clouds in the sky? It's getting rainy and we don't have any umbrellas and we don't have any raincoats and we're just not prepared for this. And of course, with me being the overachieving Brady Bunch dad, I'm like, we got to do this, you know? Come on, kids, this will be great. So we start hiking away downhill. 
through the twists and the turns. We're hiking and skipping and singing and having a great time, you know. And sure, we passed by some sheer drop-off points, but, you know, the sun was shining and everything was good. And we eventually make it down to the waterfall. You probably know where this is going. The clouds continued to cover the sky. And when we finally got down there, two and a half miles in, with no covering, the heavens opened up and began to pour down rain on us. I mean, it was completely a deluge. I mean, there was rain coming down. It was cold rain. All my kids begin to cry, and we're just stuck. There is nowhere, there's nowhere to run for cover. And all I can think of then when I went into emergency dad mode is we got to get out of this play. We got to start hiking. So I put one kid on my back in the, the kid backpack, carried another kid in my arms. Abby's holding our one-year-old close to her to keep her warm. And, and our six-year-old was a trooper. She just kind of hiked along holding her mom's hand. And we just started to go. I mean, through the mud, over the rocks, through the twists and the turns. Drop-off points were a lot more terrifying now, right? And now it's uphill, the whole thing. And I'm literally, it's getting colder and colder. The rain's continuing to come down. Everybody's soaked. The little child that I'm holding is starting to turn slightly blue. And I'm thinking, great, I'm that dad that's going to be on the headlines in the newspapers tomorrow because I went and took this hike without any preparations, right? And people are like walking by us and they're so compassionate and they're trying to give us their blankets and their clothes and everything. They're just trying to help us. And it was a debacle. It was overwhelming. And praise the Lord, we made it back to the minivan, cranked on the heat, got everybody inside and everybody was okay. But of course, for months and months afterwards, my kids were terrified of storms, it could be a perfectly clear day and there's a little puffy white cloud over on the horizon and they'd turn and look at me with a stink eye and be like, dad, how dare you, you know? Um, it, was, it was really something. We were overwhelmed by a storm. Physical storms are overwhelming. But you know, I think life storms uh, are even more overwhelming. Sometimes in our broken world, life feels like a storm. Right, the dark, windy, frightening cold front has moved in and you're struggling just to see your hand in front of your face. Some of you are going through storms this morning of various kinds. Maybe you're going through a medical storm. A loved one that you know is sick or maybe even dying. Some of you may be going through an emotional storm. Depression has moved in on your life and it feels like your world is shrinking in around you. Maybe some of you here are going through a relational storm of some sort, a breakup with someone that you thought loved you, has left your heart shattered, or a good friend has betrayed you. It's a relational storm. Or maybe some of you are going through a moral storm in your life. And that same old sin seems to dog you, and it's like sometimes you feel like you're just sinking underwater and, and, and you can't breathe because of the intensity of that moral storm. And in these cases, here's the question that I think often haunts us in the middle of our storms. We ask, where is God in the middle of my storm? Where is he? And if we're honest and we kind of lay down our cards, think it through, I think most of us in this room would resonate with that. When you're going through life's hardest storms, we're saying, God, why would you allow this? Where are you? It feels like my world is crumbling and you've left the building. So where is God in the middle of my storms? I think today's miracle account shows us precisely where God is in the middle of your storm and mine. Jesus Christ teaches us some profound truths through this miracle. Um, you know, we're familiar that Jesus 
familiar with the idea that Jesus teaches through his parables, but did you know also that Jesus teaches through miracles? Oftentimes, Jesus' miracles in the Bible are called signs, and that's because the miracle accounts are meant, we're meant to see not the miracle itself, but see through the miracle to the greater truths that it points us toward. And so I believe that in this miracle, as Jesus walks on water, he wants to show us where God is in the middle of our storm. In fact, Jesus shows us three things that he's doing in the middle of your storm. Three things. And here's the first one. Jesus comes to us inside our storm. Let me say that again. Jesus comes to us inside our storm. Look down with me at verse 16 again. It says, when evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. Okay, some of the other gospel accounts, the gospel of Mark in particular, fills in some of the blanks of this account. And, and, and what, we, what we understand is that right before Jesus performs the miracle we see today, he had just done another miracle, equally fantastic. He had fed 5,000 men as well as women and children with only five loaves of bread and two fish. And the miracle of that was so sensational that the people intended to come and take Jesus by force and make him their political king. They were hoping Jesus could free them and liberate them from oppression under Rome. Well, we learn that Jesus doesn't want to be a political king. That's not why he came. He came to be a crucified king. He came to be a savior. So he takes his disciples and they essentially escape the crowds. The Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus actually puts the disciples in the boat and sends them off. He heads the other way up onto a mountaintop to pray. Well, so there's the disciples. They get into this boat. And I think it's helpful to set the stage by understanding a few things about it. First of all, the boat itself. We need to understand that their boat is quite small, maybe by today's standards. In fact, we can get a good understanding of what this boat would be like because in the 80s, archaeologists discovered a preserved fishing boat from the first century. So this would be very, very similar to the boat, the kind of boat that Jesus and his disciples would use frequently. A picture of it will come up here on the screen so you can kind of get a view of it. This boat would have been uh, 27, this boat here is 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, three and a half feet deep at its base. It would have had a mast and a sail, also oars, and a flat bottom to it because you would want to, it's a fishing boat, right? You'd want to get close to the edge of the lake to catch the best fish. And so there it is. You imagine 12 guys in a boat that size. This boat's on on display in a museum in, in Israel today. You can go and see it. Not only that, but we need to understand how storms work on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And then it's surrounded by high mountains. So high altitude, colder air can come sweeping down onto the warmer lake air, creating a a collision of sorts, and violent, sudden storms can spring up. So violent that they could capsize a boat like the one we just looked at and drown even the most seasoned fishermen. So these storms were truly dangerous. Now that we've got all that in mind, of course, look what happens in verse 17. They got into the boat. They started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. It was dark. Some details are given us in the story. It was dark and Jesus was absent. Well, who cares? Why is that important? Well, in the Gospel of John, 
Oftentimes, the metaphor of light and darkness are meant to point us to the deeper realities of moral light and moral darkness. So when John talks about darkness, he's oftentimes talking about brokenness and sin and the darkness of our world. Let me give you some examples from other scriptures in John. For instance, in uh, John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The light shines, the light of Jesus, shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or again, another scripture in John chapter 3, verse 2. Remember Nicodemus comes to Jesus with all of his skeptical questions? It says, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Or again, we'll see a little later in John 3, 19. It says, the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See that interplay between evil and darkness? And then finally, on the night Jesus was betrayed, as Judas was leaving, we read, Judas immediately went out to betray Jesus and it was night. So John intentionally wants us to read darkness as moral darkness. He wants us to see that symbolism. And I think that's the case here. In other words, as the disciples are out on the lake in this dark storm and Jesus is away, the disciples' physical dilemma on the water represents the moral dilemma of the human condition. In some way, they represent all of us in our fallen world without Christ. And so we read on in verse 18. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. Can you picture it? Waves crashing. Disciples, who are fishermen, right? Shouting orders at each other, desperate, soaked clothes, terrified and overwhelmed hearts. And then something even more terrifying happens. This guy comes walking on the water toward them. Amazing. And I want to stop right there and I want to point out something that I think is very important in the story. Do you realize that Jesus didn't have to come out onto the water and into the storm to solve the disciples' dilemma? He could have solved their problem from the shore just fine. You ever thought about that? I mean, Jesus did a lot of miracles from a distance. He could heal from a distance. Jesus could have stood on the shore, commanded the wind and the waves, and they would have been stilled. He didn't have to go out and get wet. In fact, Jesus could have delegated. He could have written a memo, sent it out to like a thousand angels and said, hey guys, get out there on the water and save those knuckleheads out, you know, those fishermen knuckleheads out there who got themselves into this mess. Why don't you guys go out there, solve their problem, rescue them, make sure they get to the other side of the shore. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't delegate a responsibility. No, he walks in. He gets himself wet. Can you picture Jesus Christ, savior of the world? He gets soaked. He feels the wind slapping his face. He's going inside the storm to meet the disciples because they're inside the storm. And not only that, Jesus goes into the storm in such a way that he shows he's still in charge the whole time. He's walking on water. (laughs) He could have gone into the storm by swimming out to him. That would have been a miracle in and of itself. This was a pretty raging storm, right? He could have gotten in his own boat and paddled out to them. That also would have been miraculous. It's not what Jesus does. He goes out to them in style. He's walking on water. He goes into the middle of their mess in such a way that he shows, I've never lost an ounce of my control. Wow. What's going on here? What is this a picture of? Remember I said that 
the, the Bible is clear that the miracles of Jesus, not only did they really happen, but they're meant to point to deep, significant principles that we're to see. So, so what is Jesus trying to teach us by meeting the disciples in the storm and walking on water while he does it? Well, here's what I think he ultimately wants us to see. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of the good news that Christianity proclaims. The message of the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ came into our broken world. He came into our storm our cosmic moral storm in order to rescue us from it. He came inside. If I could put it this way, the gospel is the good news that God comes to solve the problem of our brokenness and our sinful rebellion by entering into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And my friends, this is what makes Christianity so profoundly unique. Do you realize that? God doesn't stand off at a distance and kind of manage our problem from way out here. That's not the message of Christianity. God comes inside, right on in. Let's put it this way. God solves our sin problem by taking sin onto himself on the cross. God solves our brokenness by being broken for us. God addresses the human condition by becoming a human. Think about Jesus and his humanness, how he came into the storm of our everyday world. I mean, Jesus Christ was born in an animal feeder to desperately poor parents. Jesus Christ lived through the emotional, physical, and relational storms of everyday life. He experienced them all. Jesus Christ went up onto a cross at a real point in time and history, bearing our sin and the punishment that our sin deserves. In fact, on the cross, Jesus was facing the ultimate storm the storm of the just wrath of God, which was poured out on him because of our sin. And it was poured out onto him, unto death, so that you and I could have life and be free. That's the gospel. We can state it in propositions and we can see it in this amazing story of the storm. Look, if you're an unbeliever today, maybe you're seeking out Christianity, you're trying to figure out if this is for you. I just want you to realize that the Christian gospel is so unique. You're not going to get this kind of message anywhere else. You're not going to get it in any other religion or spiritual path. The gospel is truly good news that God came inside to help us. Not going to get that anywhere else. God got down in the mud for us. He got his hands dirty. More than that. He got his hands bloody to rescue you and me. That's amazing. Do you ever wonder, does God love me in the middle of my storm? You know what the ultimate answer is to that biblically? Look at the cross where God sent his son into our storm and we can't help but see how much he loves us. There's a couple of scriptures that remind me of that. For instance, 1 John chapter 4 in verses 9 and 10, John says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see the love of God on display there? Or it also reminds me of Jesus' part in this love. 
For instance, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, it says that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You want to see the love of the Father in the middle of your storm? You want to see the love of the Son in the middle of your storm? Ultimately, if you're wondering about God's love, just look at the objective evidence of it on the cross. See the bloodied hands of Jesus Christ for you. He came inside of our global storm in order that he might free us. Oh, my friends, he loves you. By the way, on the cross, Jesus was still fully in control. He was walking on water. Do you realize that? They weren't taking his life from him. He was laying it down. That's what Jesus says. For instance, uh, again in John chapter 10, Jesus himself said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. You see, one of the most amazing things about the cross of Christ is that he stayed on it because he could have come down at any instant. But he remained for you and for me. He was in the midst of the cosmic storm of God's wrath for us. And yet he remained. He was in control. He hadn't lost control. He was walking on water. What a savior. All of that, I believe, is pictured in this miracle story where Jesus comes into the storm to rescue the disciples from the storm. So it's a picture of the gospel at one level. But you know, I think there's even more. I think this story also is a picture of how Jesus relates to you and me in our everyday Christian experience as we walk with God and as Jesus ministers to us and relates to us. In other words, this miracle illustrates how Jesus wants to treat you in the middle of the storms that you're facing moment by moment as you progress through life. Think about how Jesus treats these disciples. He doesn't chide them and stand on the shore and say, oh, those guys, you made this bed, you sleep in it, right? You're supposed to be big shot fishermen. Well, you got into this mess, guys. Now you figure out how to get yourself to shore. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He comes out to them with his mercy, with his grace, with his help, with his relentless love. That's how Jesus treats you and me in the middle of our life storms. He doesn't stand outside. He comes right in. Do you realize that? What storm are you going through today? Just apply it to your storm. Maybe your storm is a moral storm. You're just feeling so overwhelmed by your sin, you know? And you feel so ashamed. And you feel like, I spilled my milk for the 10,000th time. How could Jesus possibly keep dealing with the likes of me? My sin's so embarrassing. I'm contagious. Jesus probably needs to wear a hazmat suit if he's gonna come deal with me. Have you ever felt like that? Listen to me. Jesus is not wearing any hazmat suit. He's not intimidated by your sin. He's not overwhelmed by your sin. He's coming right in. And he's saying to you this morning, I'm a forgiving savior. I'm a relentless savior. And I'm never giving up on you until you're finally formed into my image one day in glory. So let me in. Let me heal you with my love, my forgiveness, my power. Repent and believe. Stay close to me. Maybe you're dealing with a relational storm this morning. The problem is it's mostly your fault. You're like, I'm the one who was a jerk to my friends. I'm the one that caused this 
rift. I'm the parent that was negligent. So how could Jesus, Jesus can't come into the middle of that. This is my self-inflicted storm. Hear Jesus this morning. He's saying to you, no, no, no. I'm right up in the middle of this. I'm in the boat with you. I'm with you. I want to be a part of the healing process. I want to journey with you in that journey of reconciliation that you need to go through. And I'm here. Not going anywhere, he's saying. Maybe you're going through a storm of physical brokenness. A loved one is dying. Hear me. As you stand by that hospital bed with all your questions about an uncertain future and all your tears and all the pain, Jesus is standing there with you. He's crying too. He gets it. He understands this fallen, broken world. And by the power of his Holy Spirit and the presence of the Spirit, he's with you in that storm. As you grieve, he's grieving too. Our Savior is on the inside. And guess what? He's also walking on water. He's also in charge. He also hasn't lost control. What this means is that when we're in the middle of our storms, not only is Jesus with us, but we need to realize he's never lost a micro ounce of control. He's walking on water. Let me ask you today, will you be able to embrace the fact that Jesus has power over your problem even while he walks with you through your problem? When we grasp that, we can trust him. And he can go to work. So number one, Jesus comes to us in the middle of our storm. There's a second big point I want us to see. And that is, Jesus reveals himself in our storm. Jesus reveals himself in our storm. In other words, there's going to be a unique way in which Jesus can show off who he is that happens when you're in the middle of turmoil. This, look how this plays out in our text. The disciples, of course, are terrified. And we read in verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened, okay? That's the understatement of the year. These guys are terrified. If you read the story in Mark, what you find out is they're so scared, they think this is a ghost coming on the water, you know? And you and I, we look at this and read this, and we think, oh, silly disciples. Everybody's heard this story, you know? We're like, everybody knows he's walking on water. Didn't you learn that in Sunday school? No, of course they've never heard that story, right? And they've never seen somebody walk on water, and neither have you. We would be terrified too, right? Of course they're scared. And you know what? We can't blame them because sometimes we're scared of God too when we're in the middle of life's storms. Sometimes it's when you're in the middle of a storm of life that these questions are raised out of fear about who God really is. So maybe you're going through a tragic storm of a miscarriage and you say, what kind of God could allow this to happen? He must be heartless. And we're scared. Or your company lets you go. You're unemployed. It's a storm. And you wonder, why did this happen to me? I was the faithful employee. I showed up early and left late, right? And yet they let me go. That's not fair. This God must not be just. We begin to fear him. 
Or maybe you feel overwhelmed by the, just the, a global storm of some sort. You go to a third world country and you see real poverty for the first time in your life and you think, how could a God allow this kind of thing to go on? Maybe, maybe he's not really in control. Maybe he's weak. Or maybe you find yourself in the dark storm of addiction and you say, man, why can't I get past this? And you start to question God, fear God, and maybe he's just negligent or numb, or maybe he's uncaring. And so we have these ongoing questions. They're raised in the middle of a storm, and they all boil down to this. We're asking ourselves in the middle of the storm, is this God safe? What's the answer to that? Well, God is like the ferocious lion named Aslan. Do you remember the classic children's story by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? The children, the four children who get into the magical land of Narnia, they hear about this amazing kingly lion. As they hear about them, the children ask, is he safe? Mr. Beaver, of course, says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. That describes God to the T. He's not safe. He won't fit in our boxes, but he's good. And we see that exact thing working out in this story about Jesus. You see, right when the disciples were most terrified, Jesus reveals himself the most. He just puts himself on display. We see it in verse 20. He gets to the boat and he says, verse 20, he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. If I could translate that in Greek a little more directly and woodenly, what Jesus just said is, I am, do not be afraid. Huh, that's interesting. See, Jesus says, I am, a number of times in the Gospel of John, but usually he says, I am something. (laughs) So he'll say, for instance, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. But there's a couple times in John where Jesus simply says, I am. A little later in John chapter 8, Jesus will look at the Pharisees and he will say to them, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what they did? They picked up stones in order to try and kill him. Why? Because I am is the divine name for God alone. They considered it blasphemy that Jesus would claim I am for himself. He was essentially making himself God. Remember Moses? That shepherd wandering around in the desert and sees a burning bush that's never burning up. And he walks up to it and the voice of God comes out to him and says, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver the, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And, and Moses says back to God, if I do this, if you send me like this, I need to tell the people who you are, God. What do I tell them your name is? And what does God say back to Moses from the burning bush? He says, tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. The name of God. It's the sacred name for God. It means that God is transcendent. He is self-existent. He is self-defining. He will be what he will be. He will not be put in our boxes. And here we see Jesus walking up to these terrified disciples in this raging storm. And what does he say to them? I am. Don't be afraid. 
It was right in the middle of the most terrifying part that Jesus revealed himself most completely. See, sometimes Jesus reveals himself most completely in the middle of our storms. And that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Because think about it for a second. How am I going to know how faithful Jesus is unless I'm in the middle of a storm where Jesus proves his faithfulness to me? Huh? And how am I going to know what peace Jesus can provide unless I'm in a rocky situation where I don't feel peace, but I know his peace can come my way? And how am I going to know what the power of Jesus looks like unless I'm in a storm where I'm powerless and he shows me his power? How am I going to feel the closeness of Jesus unless I'm put into some kind of storm where I'm struggling with feeling close to anyone else and I'm forced to lean into his closeness to me? How am I going to know Jesus' awesome power unless he has a chance to show it off in the middle of a storm? How, how, how? Thank you for that. You guys talk to your preachers here in Prescott? Let's get this going. How would I know Jesus' radical love unless I found myself in a self-inflicted storm where I blew it big time? But there he is again. You see, storms aren't just a tragedy. They're an opportunity. They're an opportunity to see Jesus' magnitude revealed like you've never seen it before. Jesus wants to be more overwhelming to you than your storm is. He has overwhelming power. Have you heard? He's got overwhelming beauty. He has overwhelming magnitude, and he can show us overwhelming grace. He can apply overwhelming mercy. He has overwhelming tenderness. He has overwhelming glory because he's an overwhelming savior. Your storm's got nothing on that. He's the great I am. You want to see Jesus at his best? Find him in the middle of your storm. And here's what I'm saying, friends. Here's the bottom line. Don't waste your storms. Use every storm as an opportunity to let Jesus reveal himself to you. So what are you going through? This morning, what uncertain future are you facing? What relational problems are you going through? What pain are you navigating? Won't you let Jesus come and minister to your soul? Don't waste it. He's so overwhelmingly beautiful. Let him in. Look at him, worship him, depend on him, learn from him, cling to him. He's revealing himself to you in unique ways through your storm. He's not safe, but he's good. So lean into that. So we've seen that Jesus comes to us inside our storm. He reveals himself in our storm. And here's the last point. Let's do this. Jesus takes us through the storm. Look at verse 21. This is so amazing. They were glad to take him into the boat and immediately, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. That word's on purpose right there. It's so fascinating. It's like the disciples, they finally clamor to get Jesus uh, into the boat. And it's like when they look up from his face, they're on the shore. And it's like a second miracle. In fact, scholars are, many scholars are agreed. This is a second miracle. It's like a bonus miracle thrown in. I mean, it's like if walking on water wasn't enough, now Jesus miraculously takes them to the shore right away. As though, as if he wants to say, once I come into the boat of your life, it is a guarantee I'm going to take you all the way to the shore. It's as good as done. 
And remember, we said this miracle on the whole is a sign, and, and, and it points us to the realities of the gospel. And so I believe that in, in doing this bonus miracle, if you will, Jesus is showing us that not only is his gospel the message that he would come into our world in order to rescue and save us, but now he's showing us that once he saves you, once he gets into the boat of your life by faith in him, now he is taking us all the way to glory with him. And he will never let you go. You could say it with a miracle, or you could say it straightforwardly in other places of scripture. It reminds me of some places like that. For instance, in Philippians 4, verse 13, we're reminded that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So God always finishes what he starts, and if he started the work of salvation in you, if Jesus got in your boat, as it were, he's taken you all the way to the finish line. Or there's another text that brings, it comes to mind. John 10, 28, this is Jesus' words. He says, I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So if you've been, by faith, put into the hands of Jesus, he's going to take you all the way home. It's a guarantee. And then famously in Romans chapter eight, Paul tells us that everyone whom God has justified, he also glorified. So if you've been made right with Christ, if you've been justified, it's a, it's a sure thing. You will one day stand in glory, outfitted for heaven for all eternity. You'll be glorified. And Paul is so sure of this, he speaks about glorified in the past tense. It's like he wants to say, those who've been justified by Christ, they're as good as glorified. It's like it's already done. The same Jesus who gets into your boat will ensure that he takes you all the way to your destination, your eternal destination. I wonder if anybody in here is discouraged in your Christian life and you needed to hear this last point <laughs> because you think, I wonder if Jesus at some point is just gonna have to give up on me. You know, my sanctification road is so messy and he's just... He, He's got to give up at some point, doesn't he? My friend, hear him speaking straightway to you this morning. He's never given up. Here's what he wants to say to you. He's saying, I took Noah safely through a global flood to dry land. I took my disciples, I got into their boat, and I took them safely, miraculously, through the storm to the shore. And I got into the boat of your life at the moment that you trusted me as your savior. I'm in your storm and I'm gonna take you safely home. It's as good as done. You're as good as glorified. You're gonna blink and you're gonna be safely on shore. He's saying, just keep your eyes fixed on my face and when you look up, we'll be home. You believe that today? Let your soul feast on that today. Friends, I can only begin to imagine the kind of storms going on in this room, in your lives, and in mine. But I know this. Jesus is coming to you in your storm. He wants to reveal himself to you in amazing ways in the middle of your storm. And he wants to journey with you through all the storms of life, taking you all the way to glory. And he'll never let you go. The question is this. Will you let Jesus overwhelm your storm? Because my friends, he's overwhelmingly beautiful. He's not safe, but he's good. Let's pray to him. Jesus Christ, thank you for your faithfulness to us. 
Thank you for your rescue mission where you came 2,000 years ago to die on a cross and rise for us. Thank you for your ever felt love that just radiates towards us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And what we need in this room and all of the mess that we're going through in our lives and all the storms and all the challenges, we need to feel your intimate love and power going with us in that journey. So get into the boat of our lives. We're so thankful that you're here. We love you, beautiful Jesus. We worship you today and we just sit in your presence. To you be all the glory. In your name we pray it, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.